G'day and welcome to the UQ Compassionate Mind Research Group podcast. My name is Stan Steindl and with me as always is James Kirby. Hello Stan. Hello James. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. In fact, I'm, I'm delighted to say that, that today we also have with us Claire Harris who is a student here at UQ uh, but her and a wonderful group of other students have recently set up the Effective Altruism Group at, here at UQ. Uh, about a year ago, I think it was, I had the, the great pleasure of being involved in their inaugural event when they first established Effective Altruism here at UQ. And I thought it would be great today to talk to her about this notion of effective altruism and what it's about and, and what, what we're doing here. Does that sound okay with you, James, if we uh, explore all <laughs> haven't got a choice. It sounds like I've got a choice. No, it sounds great. I'm very interested. I think what the group's doing is obviously fantastic. So welcome, Claire. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really great to have you. So I, I thought... Um, we're actually just going to kind of ask you a little bit about it. So w tell us a little bit about the concept of effective altruism, first of all. Yeah, so effective altruism is uh, quite a new term. I think it only started being used in about 2012. Um, and uh, you might be interested, it actually was, there were a few names they were deciding between, and I think Alliance for Rational Compassion was one of the ones they, oh. they were voting among. Okay. Uh, yeah, but they ended up choosing effective altruism. Uh, and... I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory, so it's about doing good for others, that's the altruism component, and doing it effectively um, as far as you can. So that's basing it on evidence, reason, and uh, careful analysis of the options available to you. So it's really just about doing good in the best way that you can. Yeah. Mm, doing good in the best way that you can. Um, yeah. And so um, uh, what would be some examples? Like, I remember when I came to that initial... Uh, event that you talked about uh, a few different examples of kind of altruistic work, some of which turned out to be particularly effective and some surprisingly ineffective. Can you give us some yeah. examples? Yeah, so it can, sometimes it's not intuitive. Uh, what mm. at first seems like a great option may not be, and that's why, I mean, another way of looking at it is it's just a science based approach mm. to doing good. So it's making sure that uh, what we're doing is based on evidence and where there is no evidence, taking a scientific approach to establishing what works and what doesn't. So the example I think that we gave during our launch event last year was the play pumps, which is the play commonly pumps, yes. used uh, in Will McCaskill's book, Doing Good Better. He also used that example and it just uh, illustrated really well that it can sound like a great thing to do um, sometimes, but um, often... Uh, yeah, the results won't be what you expect. So basically, Play Pumps was an initiative that was rolled out, uh, started by a couple of engineers who wanted to help improve the water supply to African people, uh, and they also wanted to, like, enable children to play on roundabouts. Mm -hmm. So they they created these roundabouts that, by the torsion of um, spinning the roundabout, you'd be able to draw water up from the ground and then have it in this well, ready for people to. Mm. Um, take it later. Uh, the downside was that, uh, as it turned out, uh, once it installed millions of dollars worth all around Africa, it turned out that you'd have to spin it all day to supply enough water for the town. And so, uh, and also they fell into disrepair and they didn't actually plan ahead enough to know how to fix them. Mm. So, uh, and in some cases they were replacing fully functional hand pumps that would have been much 
more effective. So mm. uh, they were actually doing significant harm to these communities, even though everyone involved had very good intentions. Mm. Um, mm. And they did, once they realized their mistake, they were very good about real, you know, um, apologizing and trying to take different approaches in the future to giving clean water to those communities. But it was a big lesson in... Uh, everything that looks good isn't necessarily as you think it will turn out. Yes, and I remember you presented a few options and we had to vote on what we would like to give our money to, in a sense. And and I remember the very happy pictures of young children and and colourful roundabouts. Exactly, Isn't this a great idea, a wonderful way to to both provide water but also play and equipment for children? And, And I thought, oh, what a wonderful idea. And then... In the end, I think you said something like that um, often what happened was they, the children didn't really play on them that much and so often someone from the village, yep. often you know, the women from the village yep. would have to be walking round and round and round on these roundabouts to, to keep the water flowing. Yeah, exactly. And so there's a very depressing image of this poor elderly lady, a middle-aged lady, having to spin it all on her own and producing mm. far less water than she would have if she was just using her hand. So. Mm. Uh, mm. And the other thing is they didn't engage with like these communities were just told you're going to get this <laughs> like be grateful mm. and so they had to you know that these children were enjoying it for the first few minutes mm. uh, and they they were appreciative of this mm. input and then uh, there was just this lack of planning alongside the communities if they had done that maybe they would have realized there were other things the communities needed but mm-hmm. there was none of that so mm. yeah so Very what would be an example of something that is more effectively altruistic yeah. Um, so the counterexample, probably that I like to use in contrast to play pumps, is uh, starting off with rather than what sounds good and also ignoring community needs. Uh, the counterexample would be start with what works. So there was a group of economists, um, graduate students, who were looking for a way to spend their money effectively, and they could they found that cash transfers work. So they'd seen multiple studies showing that actually just giving poor people money is effective in making them less poor, surprisingly, Mm. Um, or not so surprisingly. And um, so having looked at this research, they decided they would start a similar program, uh, but they wanted to do it without any of the overhead costs because they were very sceptical about uh, corruption, um, as um, Mm. does occur in some charities. Uh, And so they wanted to cut out the middlemen and make sure that money transfers could happen in the most effective and efficient way possible. Mm. So they started with what works and then um, they looked for ways to implement it. Uh, in Kenya, there was this mobile money transfer service called M-Pesa mm-hmm. uh, and they decided to use that because that doesn't require a bank account. So you basically, it, as long as you've got a SIM card, which they would give to the participants if they didn't have one, uh, then you can receive money transfers. So they mm. started giving participants in the poorest households, so typically those with thatched roofs, because they're poorer than metal-roofed households, mm. uh, they would give those participants $1,000 transfers, US dollars, over 10-month periods. And mm. then they followed up to see what happened, and the participants were using it for things they actually needed. So they didn't increase their alcohol and drug spending like some stereotypes would have you think Mm. they were using it to pay school fees to get food to get school supplies Um, and also the bigger transfers because some of them was were larger than others they were purchasing metal roofs and even entire houses with these transfers Mm. because in in terms of the kenyan village that is hundreds of times what they would get paid Mm. uh in a given year so Mm. um 
that was the complete opposite approach, again, because not only were they signing with what worked, they were also respecting the fact that people can make their own decisions about what they need. Mm. Uh, mm. They don't have to just have this outside solution imposed on them. Mm. So just showing them a bit of respect and looking at the evidence and realising they're not going to waste it. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's, a, mm. it's taking an evidence-based approach. It's yeah. trying to be respectful and collaborative. And, yeah. and then it's trying to be able to sort of measure outcomes as you go along. And, exactly, and so yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're actually running the, the world's largest randomised controlled trial at the moment, which is pretty exciting. It's on basic income. So they've got a village that they're giving 12 years of basic income, so enough to live on. And uh, these people are still working, um, so it, it doesn't prevent people from working. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what those results show. It's only just started, so mm. watch that space. Mm. Yeah. But they're very research-focused, so... Yeah. You said world's largest, so is it across yeah. continents? And, uh, no, is it's, just, it's just in one village, but just oh, providing okay. the entire village with basic income for 12 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, that's the largest trial of that nature that's wow. been done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so far. So yeah. what got you into it, Claire? Into uh, effective, effective altruism? Yeah, how did um, you stumble into it? I, I think the principles of effective altruism I, I've been interested in since... I remember one day in grade 10, I decided um, I'd always wanted to become a doctor. And then that day I decided, actually, that's not the best way I can have an impact because like I'll only be, I mean, I'll be influencing patients and that's great, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's only so many patients you can see in a lifetime and um, helping people um, in a one-on-one basis is, can only do so much. So when you compare it to, if you were giving um, sanitary treatment to water systems in Africa or feeding people in African communities, I thought those kind of interventions would have a much bigger impact. So the best thing I could do was use whatever income I could get and then spend it on charities in Mm. Africa. And so I decided, okay, I'll still become a doctor, but it's for a different reason now. It's not because I think I'll help people that way. Like, I hope I will. But it's more so that I can then use that to, like, leverage my income and have a bigger impact overseas. Um, And at that point, I was thinking I'd either have to travel to see the charities in action because I didn't trust them. I thought, you know, they're not very transparent. I need to make sure they're doing what they actually say they're doing. Mm. So I planned to sort of start donating and then visit. And then if I wasn't happy, I would like try and create my own one, something like that. So I just thought, okay, I'll just focus on getting a career first and then spend the money on actually helping people. Mm. Um, And then I didn't really think about it again until, except I just knew I wanted to get the job. And then before I started working, I then looked for, okay, where am I going to donate? Mm-hmm. Um, and just a Google search in like in at the start of 2015, um, it came up with when I searched for effective charities, Giving What We Can came up and Give Well. So that's um, Giving What We Can is a community of people that all of them had the same goal. Um, so they wanted to spend their money in an effective way. So they realized their careers may or may not have been doing good in and of themselves, but they wanted to leverage their impact by donating. 10% is like the baseline of that community. Some people donate more. Um, and students, if you're a student, you can just pledge 1%. But the idea is that if you give away 10% of your income, basically you can have a large impact if you donate to the right charities or to evidence-based charities uh, without any big effect on your own living. Like, if you plan in advance, it shouldn't really impact your lifestyle negatively at all. Um, And the other group that came up was GiveWell, so that's a charity evaluator. So they're the ones who will help you find which charities are worth 
donating to because it's actually it would be a full-time job that's why GiveWell exists if mm. you were to actually go the my thinking in grade 10 was very forward like I could never find on my own what charities would be trustworthy and not so that's very forward is probably an understatement how many yeah. uh, grade 10 I was thinking about sport and <laughs> about how to ask this girl out <laughs> I was certainly not thinking about effectiveness I was, I was feeling sad and reading Nietzsche but that is that is wonderful. I mean, that is an amazing kind of uh, sort of story that that began very early. That you mm. just wanted to to be able to to really make a contribution like that, and it's, it is it is very admirable. And it sounds like uh, you know you you're making it real. What's what's happening then at UQ in terms of the mm. effective altruism group and the people that you're working with on that? What what's coming yeah. up in in that sense? Yeah. So um, effective altruism UQ, uh, there was actually an another group of students that tried to start it in 2015 uh, and they uh, apparently in UQ Union it's actually a 70% rejection rate for expressions of interest so they, they there was an initial attempt and it got rejected a couple of times hmm. um, and then those people have all moved on and gone into state uh, but they were still in contact with us so last year a few of us in Effective Altruism Brisbane which is like our sister organization you could say uh, um, Alex Buckmaster from Effective Altruism Brisbane approached me saying we should start this group since we both happened to be starting masters here at UQ that year. Um, and uh, so I was already in touch with Hayden Wilkinson who's now started a group at ANU but was one of the main people trying to start one here. Uh, and so he gave us some great tips on how to have a small group of people able to run events on a regular basis without too much uh, in the way of time investment. Mm. Uh, for the initial events. So that's how it sort of started, was mm. just with some initial conversations. And then we just posted um, in the Facebook page to see who was interested. And immediately we got some people come along and we had a few casual meetings and then eventually it culminated in um, us submitting a, an expression of interest. And we sort of all planned together to make sure that it wouldn't be rejected this time and tried to make sure we justified how we're different to other charity groups. Um, mm. Because I mean, we're not really a charity group. It's more about trying to help people think for themselves what charities they want to donate to, depending on mm. their, like what cause areas they're interested in and what their goals are. Um, and it's also not just about charity, it's about career choice. Um, so it's definitely not only about donations. Um, so we sort of convinced them then that we're not um, just a charity group and they let us go ahead and do that affiliation meeting, which is where mm -hmm, you are mm -hmm. um, presenting. Yes. So we were actually, it was really helpful that uh, we could promote it with, uh, with your name on the on the poster because we had to have we had to have 30 paid members uh, that's uh -huh. another requirement at UQ here um, you have to have 30 paid members at your affiliation meeting or it doesn't count we yeah. had almost 60 I think the, yeah yeah at the headcount so um, mm. so that worked very well and everyone enjoyed your presentation so and then since then we've had other events um, they're, they're quite varied like that we've had giving games where you get to choose where um, a donor will donate money on your behalf um, those are fun to sort of discuss the different charities and why you'd consider them. And then we've had things like um, speed updating, which is where you um, consider how well, whether you want to change your mind in the face of new evidence. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. And uh, cool. then we've had other things like just presentations that people give and also casual social events as well mm -hmm. because one of the functions we, we want to provide for the community is just like a, a way to meet like-minded people, people mm -hmm. who are also interested in doing good with their lives. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you, you're a really wonderful person, Claire, and I, I do appreciate the, the, the work that you're doing. I think that it is fantastic. How do people get involved? What, where could mm. they contact or look you up? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, at the moment, probably the best way to get involved would be to look at our Effective Altruism UQ Facebook page. So, okay. Uh, yeah, we also have um, a website that's also listed on that page. Okay. But yeah, if you um, wanted to look at that, that would be the first step if people are local. Um, but as far as looking at like effective altruism in general, mm-hmm. um, I definitely wouldn't just take what I've said because that's just like one person's opinion and um, it was very quick. But mm. Beth Barnes' TED Talk. Okay. Um, is what I would recommend six minutes and it's so great because she sort of communicates the excitement that comes with the fact that you can like it can be quite disheartening when you think about the scale of the suffering in the world and you know animal suffering human suffering and what's going to happen in the future climate change all of the problems that we're facing in the world at the moment etc um, but then when you look at um, the position we're in at the moment with respect to the amount of information we have now we are actually in a better position to help others than we have ever been before. Mm-hmm. So there's more information now available than like any anyone in history has had before, um, and so it's actually we're actually really lucky. And um, mm-hmm. and so effective altruism helps you to sort of feel less disempowered when you think mm-hmm. about all the suffering. Yeah. In in the face of all the suffering, this this does really provide a, a, a feeling of optimism. Yeah. That that we can make a change. What do you think of all that, James? Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, no, yeah. excellent stuff. And uh, we'd uh, highly recommend people to check out the Facebook page on Effective Altruism. Is it Effective Altruism UQ they have to type in? Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. there's also like a general Effective Altruism page. And yeah. Um, and I would highly recommend going to the conferences as well. The, this one's in June or July in Melbourne. Oh, okay. Uh, I re- like the one in 2015, like the, the best part about the Effective Altruism community is not just that it, it equips you with sort of you know, tips and things like, especially um, the 80,000 hours community, I would recommend looking them up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they give some great tips on how to sort of optimize your life in general for trying to help others. But um, as well as that, though, the community itself is just really fun to like meet people there because uh, they, they all sort of, everyone's got a different approach, but everyone has um, as their ultimate goal to sort of do good in whichever way they choose so yeah. I, I think that's the best the best reason for joining yeah. communities like this yeah. mm. uh, is to sort of get that um, social interaction with others who have that goal oh. um, there's yeah. certainly a compassionate motivation at yeah. the, at the yeah. heart of it well thank you yeah. very much for coming along Claire and, and uh, thanks James thanks Stan see you, see you next time